All scripture needs two or three witnesses to confirm every word. And Jesus is talking about a great revival in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, that is going to touch every nation, tongue, and tribe. And in this next part, part two of the great revival of Matthew 24, verse 14, we're going to be looking at the testimony of the prophets because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And the spirit of prophecy in the prophets are going to give testimony to what Jesus has to say. So stay tuned to our next episode of The Great Revival, Part 2. Hello and welcome to Part 10, Episode 11. And this is the second part of Matthew, Chapter 24, Verse 14, The Great Revival. And in the previous episode, Part 9, episode 10, I was looking at uh, with you at Matthew 24 and the witness or the spirit of prophecy, which is the testimony of Jesus is, is the spirit of prophecy. And we, we, were, we were looking at where prophecy is talking about revival in the law. Uh, one of the things that is important when we establish doctrine as the Apostle Paul said, and even Jesus himself said, that where two or three witnesses, let every word be established. And so this is why it's so important to especially uh, ground doctrine in the law, in the prophets, and, and also in the apostles. And Jesus did this. In fact, John 5.39 says, All Scripture gives testimony to Jesus. And when Jesus was uh, teaching his disciples in Luke chapter 24, he made reference to the, to the uh, books of Moses, the law of Moses, the Psalms, and the prophets, and of uh, the teachings and their doctrines that referred to Jesus himself. So in this part two, we are now looking at the great revival that Jesus mentions. And again, we'll, we will read that verse, Matthew 24, verse 14, and the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And so remember that Jesus is key and center and the focus. He is the cornerstone. His words take precedence because he's the son of God. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Uh, God spoke in different manners in sundry times to the prophets. But now in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So everything that is uh, dealing with end time events, and so forth, must tie into Matthew chapter 24 or Mark 13. And so actually Mark 13 and Matthew 24 go together and give us a little bit more complete picture. But Jesus is giving us an order of events. Now, if you will notice, we have uh, verse 14, which speaks of the gospel going forth, the gospel of the kingdom. Now, this is something that is going to take place. And the prophets prophesy of this. They foresaw this. And so I want to look at several scriptures that will help us uh, ground this truth of a massive outpouring of God's Spirit, of the glory of God. Now remember in Numbers, uh, the Lord in Numbers chapter 14 said, Surely as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. As surely as I live, 
all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. And that is in the book of the law. But there also is a scripture verse that uh, refers to the glory of God in different places. And I want to look at that. And I'm looking up a scripture verse here because I have the strongest concordance here also to help me out. And we want to look at the glory of God as it is being manifested and what the prophets see. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60. This is a verse that we want to look at briefly. And I want you to see something that Isaiah sees. Now, this is a familiar verse, and it really is a verse that is becoming very alive in our present time. And it says, Arise, shine, for the light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. So there is a visible light, a visible glory that is seen. Now, this, this is something that has uh, not happened, has not been fulfilled. There have been types of it where we have the glory of God upon the tabernacle of Moses. And Stephen said in Acts chapter 7 that that was the church in the wilderness. And he is tying really the Old, the Old Testament uh, tabernacle of Moses. He's tying that with the church, calling it the church in the wilderness. And it is the type of what the church is to be, the three different levels of the church. We have the outer court, which are the little children, the outer court, which are the young men, and they are strong in the word of God. They've overcome the evil one. And then you have the spiritual fathers that are in the Holy of Holies. And it's likened to the 30-fold, the 60-fold, the 100-fold. And so um, these are levels of maturity and growth in the Lord. And the glory is seen in the Holy of Holies. And that is where God is bringing the church. Jesus is the door. And the tabernacle only had one door. And Jesus said, I am the door. And when you come into the, into the tabernacle through the door, uh, you immediately see the place where there was a sacrifice. You see where the blood was shed. And so you see the shedding of blood. And Jesus fulfilled all these pieces of furniture but it, it is something also that we are to experience. We are to experience him as, as our door. We are to experience him as our holocaust, our lamb that was uh, slain for us. And then we progress further on in maturity in the Lord. And so the tabernacle of Moses is a type and shadow of the church. And then we have uh, the Solomon's temple, which was twice the size of the dimensions and this speaks of a greater outpouring, a greater anointing. And in fact, in the seventh month, when the, when the, uh, in the Feast of Tabernacles, Solomon's temple was dedicated and the glory of God came and was visibly seen. And this again is a type of what God's going to do in the church. The church is actually going to inherit a double portion of God's spirit that was upon Jesus. Jesus is our Elijah and the church is like the Elisha. And there's a double portion that's been given to those who've been prepared for it. And so there's a glory that's coming. Now, Isaiah saw this glory upon the church. And this is not something that has happened with Israel. And this is not something in the millennial reign because there will not be gross darkness among the nations in that time. It's going to be a time where Satan is bound in the pit. And, and in a future episode, we will uh, cover this. 
But right now, what we're looking at is a period of time before Jesus returns. And we have to understand this. And one of the, the keys that we must uh, understand or receive to understand the end time events is that God looks at the church as through an agricultural perspective. And we see that in the law. We see that in the New Testament, in the parable of the wheat and the tares. And so we are looking at a, a church that is going to be mature. Uh, Jesus is coming back not for a little girl that he's going to be married to. He's coming back for a full bride. And Esther is a type of that. And we have to be developed and prepared by the Holy Spirit to be presented to the king. And so the bride is going to have to go through six months of bitter spices and also six months of sweet spices, just like Esther did. We need both the difficult times and the blessings. There's a balance God gives us, half and half, because God is a God of balance. Truth is balanced. And it's in those times and in those wilderness times, as we find in the Songs of Solomon, that she comes out of the wilderness leaning on her beloved. And that's really what God seeks to do in difficult times, is cause her bride, his bride, to lean upon the beloved. And so Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 and 2 and 3, there's a visible glory that's coming upon the church. And when is the timing of this? Well, there will be gross darkness covering the earth and a gross uh, darkness covering the earth and gross darkness the people. And then the glory of God will be seen. And we see this principle in Genesis chapter 1. There's darkness. The Spirit of God is brooding over the earth. And the earth is there because there's water upon it. And so there's, there's material, there's substance. And the water was already created at some previous time that in the original creation. So God is doing a restoration. And the first thing he does is in that darkness, he proclaims light. And that's what God does. When you look at, uh, for example, when Jesus was ministering and it's prophesied him, about him in Luke. And I believe it's in chapter Luke chapter 3. And I hope I got this right because I'm going doing this by memory. But he is walking in a place where there was gross darkness. And the uh, it, there's a shadow of darkness and he's a great light in the darkness. And um, I can't find that verse right now. It just came to my mind. But it's not, I don't think it's Luke chapter 3. Um, so it might be Matthew chapter 3. But the point is, is that Jesus was a light going in a place of great darkness. And so this is a theme that God does. He shows his glory and it contrasts with the darkness. And so God is going to have a glorious people that are going to give a contrast to the chaos and the darkness that's in the world, and they're going to manifest the glory of God. Now, this glory is also seen in Isaiah chapter 4, Isaiah chapter 4, verse 5, where upon the spiritual assemblies of Mount Zion, now Mount Zion is a place within Jerusalem. There's a heavenly Mount Zion in Revelation chapter 14. That's where the throne's at. That's the Mount Zion in, is in Psalms 50, verse 2, is the, the beauty of perfection. That is where the spiritual perfection is. There are levels of, of glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, we are transformed from glory to glory. And so being born again is one level of glory. But as Peter says, those that are born again are spiritual babes. And so 
that, that, that spiritual babe has the potential to become that full-grown, mature bride and overcomer. But there has to be a process of maturity. Even Jesus had to be matured. At 12 years of age, he was uh, talking with the doctors of the law and so forth and asking questions and answering questions. Yet he had to go through a period of 18 years, as Isaiah chapter 49 says, where he's underneath the, the hand of God and he's the arrow being formed, uh, the quiver of God and He's being formed in the hands of the Father so he can be an arrow that hits the target. And so when he's 30 and he's being baptized, he said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then he was tested and then he went into his ministry. And so Jesus is our pattern. Jesus is our head. Jesus was perfected through suffering. And if we want to rule and reign with him in, in glory, we, we will have to suffer with him and go and fellowship with his sufferings. And so Zion is a place of the kings and uh, kings and priests that will rule and reign with Christ. We can see this in Revelation chapter 3.21 and the promises that are given to the overcomers. All the promises to the church are given to the overcomers in the last days. That means we have to progress from the outer court into the holy place and go from the holy place into the holy of holies spiritually. And so Mount Zion is a spiritual uh, place. It is the, the holy of holies because David took the Ark of the Covenant and that Ark of the covenant was originally in, in the tabernacle of Moses in the Holy of Holies. But in the time of Saul, it was not there. And David went and sought for it. And he took it upon Mount Zion. And he put the ark there for 45 years over a, and put a tent over it. And it, it did not have any veil. And that speaks of the new covenant. Because when Jesus died on the cross, the veil between the holy place and the holy holies was split open. And so David was literally sitting before the presence of God in Mount Zion, viewing and seeing his glory. And we can see that in the Psalms when he would sit before the presence of the Lord and he would talk about his power and his glory. And so he would commune before God with an open veil in the Holy of Holies. And so that is the call of God. That is where we are going to. And Acts chapter 15 says that that. The tabernacle of David is going to be restored, that the church is the restoration of the tabernacle of David. And that's a whole new series in itself. But the tabernacle of David was where Mount Zion was. It's uh, the same as Mount Zion. And that is the place where he ruled from as a king. And so he was a king and he's a priest. And so we have that calling in Jesus Christ because he's the greater son of David. He, Jesus inherited all the promises of Abraham. And so... There in Mount Zion, in, in spiritual, the spiritual assemblies, there is going to be a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night, for upon all the glory shall be a defense. And so we are looking at uh, something that's going to take place in the future, and we see the tabernacle of Moses as a type of that in the wilderness. The glory of God was visible. And when we look at the New Testament part of revival, the third aspect of the third witness, the apostles, we're going to see that Paul alluded to Moses and the glory that he had, but there is a coming greater glory for the church. And we must understand this. Jesus is coming back for a glorious bride, a glorious church. The church must enter into this glory. And, and when is that glory going to be? When there is very gross darkness over the earth. And we're seeing that. We're seeing that. And that iniquity is going to increase. And that iniquity is going to grow. Now, let's look at another verse in the prophets. And let's go to Haggai chapter 2. 
And in the previous episode, I mentioned this in John chapter 7, that Jesus on the last and great day of the Feast of Tabernacles, which is day 21. And so on the seventh month in the Feast of Tabernacles, which starts the feast, the feast started on the 15th, and it went through seven days, and the great and last day feast was the 21st. Well, on the seventh day, or seventh month, the 21 day, Jesus prophesies about rivers of life coming out of us, coming out of us. And he makes reference to Ezekiel chapter 47. But it's very interesting that the Holy Spirit, which is the author of the book, is, is um, writing to Haggai or speaking to Haggai. And Haggai is writing this down, that the Holy Spirit is prophesying on the seventh month on the 21 day which is the, the last great day of the feast. And so Haggai chapter 2 and John chapter 7 are like two covers of a book. Uh, they're, they're, they're one and the same. But God is speaking about this and saying that there is great glory that is coming. There is great glory that is coming. And we, we need to understand this. And there are these references in the Old Testament. We have to understand that these Old Testament uh, prophecies that promise blessings for Israel also have their counterpart in the church. And so, for example, when it talks about God giving Israel, the natural Israel, a, a new heart, uh, that's a promise that is fulfilled for them during the millennium. Um, it has its fulfillment in the church. And Paul takes this very covenant promise that God gives to Israel in the natural, and he applies it to the Israel of God uh, which is the church. You know, uh, Paul mentions in Galatians uh, chapter 6, I believe it's verse 19 or verse 20, that we are the Israel of God. And so in Hebrews 8.10, he says, This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after these days, saith the Lord, I will, put, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And so Paul is taking this and he is applying it to the church. And so these promises applied to us. Why? Because we are seed of the seed of Abraham. He's our spiritual father in the faith. And Abraham has two seeds, a natural seed and a spiritual seed. And so the church is going to experience these promises and uh, that we're reading here in the prophets. And so this is very, very important to understand. The Old Testament is clearly showing that the last day church is going to experience a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And many are going to repent. Many are going to accept Jesus as their Savior. And the glory of God is going to be seen upon the church. And this is now, you know, I'm trying to prove this from the scriptures, that this is part of Matthew 24, verse 14. And look what Haggai says in the Feast of Tabernacles. Just like Jesus said, there's a great outpouring coming from the church, from within our spirit, because our spirit is going to be uni is our united with the Holy Spirit, and there's going to be a great manifestation of the glory of God through the church. The glory is our inheritance. John chapter 17, The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them, Jesus said, that we might be one. And so the very relationship that Jesus has with the Father is our inheritance. That's ours. And the glory that he received from the Father, is go he shared it with us so that we might be one. And he's coming for a bride that has his glory. It's going to manifest the fullness of his character, his nature, uh, his ways. And so Haggai chapter 2, uh, verse uh, 6, there's a great shaking that takes place. Well, we see that in Hebrews 
also chapter 12, where Paul talks about once more, I will shake the heavens and the earth. Now, what is the purpose of the shaking? It is to shake all nations, and then the desire of all nations shall come. That's the Lord. The Lord is going to visit. The glory of God is going to come, and He says, I will fill this house with glory. I will fill this house with glory. And the silver is mine, the gold is mine, saith the Lord. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former. And in this place I will give peace. Now, what we have to understand is that uh, literally this prophecy speaks of the fact that the latter house, which is the millennial temple that Ezekiel saw in Ezekiel chapter 47, will be greater than the former house, which is Solomon's temple. However, it is it represents or is emblematic of the last day church, which would be far more glorious than the early church. You see, the early church experienced the feast of Pentecost. And the Feast of Pentecost is the Feast of one day. But the last day church must fulfill all the feasts. Uh, the church must fulfill all the feasts. And the last day church will fulfill the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a feast of seven days. A feast of seven days. Now, this glory that we're going to see is also revealed by Joel. It's also revealed by Joel. So let's go to Joel chapter 2. And Joel prophesies of a tremendous restoration. And in Joel chapter 2, verse 23, Rejoice, be glad, you children of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain moderately. Now that is, the former rain uh, and the latter rain were two seasons of natural rain that Israel received. But if you compare that with James chapter 5, verse 7, James takes the two natural seasons and applies it spiritually. The former rain for the church was the, was the day of Pentecost. And the latter rain of the church is the Feast of Tabernacles. And so it says, He will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter in the first month. So this is what God's going to do. There is going to be a restoration and, and an outpouring and a returning back to the power and glory of the day of Pentecost. Because He's going to pour out the former rain, and then the latter rain. And so there's a pouring out of the former rain. And the charismatic revival was like the Pentecost, original Pentecost of the church, but very moderately. But we're going to see the same glory and the power of Pentecost, but then it's going to increase. And it will increase eightfold. Why? Because the former and the latter will be joined together. You have the, the power of Pentecost which is one day, and then you have the Feast of Tabernacles, which is seven days, and that is eight times. So what is coming is beyond what any man has ever seen. God has surely saved the best wine for last, the best wine for last. And so there's going to be a tremendous restoration, a tremendous uh, increase of wheat. You know, it's wheat, it speaks of the harvest. The vats will overflow with wine, which speaks of joy and oil is the Holy Spirit. And I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And we're going to see the fullness of this, the fullness of this before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And so Pentecost was a partial fulfillment, but we are blessed to see the fullness of this, which is shortly coming upon us. And then we have Ezekiel chapter 47. The temple, as you know, is uh, us. 
that is really what God is looking for to dwell in. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And all these temples are types and shadows of the real temple, which is us, the temple of the Holy Ghost. And Jesus makes reference to the outpouring of this spirit from, from within us in John chapter 7, where, when he re- makes the reference, as the scripture says. Well, he's referring to the natural temple in the millennial reign, but it typifies spiritually what he's going to be doing in our lives. And so in chapter 47 of Ezekiel, there is a tremendous outpouring of the river of God, the river that comes from the temple. And this is what's going to happen. In this great outpouring, number one, in verse nine, it says there will be very great multitude of fishes. That fishes speaks of, you know, Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men, a great harvest. And if you look at Matthew 13 in the parable of the net, the last days is, is typified by harvest. It's a net harvest, not line harvesting one by one. It's a net harvest. We are going to see multitudes becoming coming to the glory of God in the time of great darkness and shaking. And then it says, uh, it continues to say, the waters uh, shall be healed and everything shall live whether the river goes. So we're going to see a release of healing tremendous healing, tremendous miracles and signs and wonders, and the life of God being poured out. The life of God being poured out. And so this is something that that the prophets talk about. And so we've looked at the law, and we looked at the prophets, and we, we have two witnesses that tie into what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 24. The, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Where do I get that verse from? In Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And Jesus is giving testimony. Jesus is testifying about the great revival. Well, the spirit of prophecy in the book of in the law and in the prophets are going to testify to what Jesus is saying. That's why everything must tie in to Jesus. And so in our next episode, in a, uh, we're going to look at the Great Revival Part 3, as we look at what the New Testament has to say about this revival. So, stay tuned. In Part 3 of the Great Revival of Matthew 24, verse 14, we will be looking at our third witness or testimony, which is the Apostles. Jesus said that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established, and so did, the, so did the Apostle Paul. And so as we study the law and the prophets and the apostles, we're going to see that they all agree and come into alignment with what Jesus talked about in Matthew 24, verse 14, of the great outpouring, the great revival in the last days before Jesus comes for his church. <music>